A seminary professor told of an experiment that his wife did in college. Now, it wasn't that much of a scientific experiment, but the results are interesting nonetheless. She took two mice and put them in separate cages. One mouse she fed a very healthy diet. The other mouse she fed a very unhealthy diet. In fact, the first mouse lived on a diet of fruits and vegetables. At the end of 10 days, that mouse was rocking it. It was alive, it was vibrant, it was running around on that hamster wheel. Everything went well for that first mouse. Now the second mouse was fed nothing but junk food. Coffee and donuts for breakfast. For lunch, white bread smothered in jelly. And then for dinner, it would have snacks, it would have chips, it would have sodas. Some of you right now be saying, hey, that's, that's, that's what I eat. Well, the results after a few days for that second mouse wasn't good. It started losing all of its fur. After about eight or nine days, it was becoming lifeless. And then at the, by the 10th day, it had died. Now, as I said, it's not a real scientific experiment, but the results are interesting in that it shows that what we feed ourselves can actually affect our lives. The, true, the same thing is true about what we feed our minds. It's been said, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. You see, what we feed our minds lands in our hearts, and then what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's in our hearts. Jesus is all about our hearts. He's all about heart transformation, such as what we're gonna talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Heart transformation takes three things. It takes time, it takes tests, and it takes truth. It takes time. The Holy Spirit is consistently drawing us in before we say, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. And then at some point we say, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. I want to surrender my life to you. And then from that time until the time we choke on our chicken bone and stand up in front of him, he's working on our hearts. He's transforming our hearts over time. It takes tests. We'll go through valley experience after valley experience to hone our character and our faith. But then also heart transformation takes truth, God's truth, God's word being put in our mind and landing in our hearts. And that's how heart transformation works. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week four of our series called Moses. It's in this series in which we're looking at several different stories of Moses and gleaning some lessons learned from this amazing leader in the Bible. This week, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 and John chapter 6. It all points to Jesus. And I'm excited about doing this week's teaching. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 16. Let me set the scene for what's going on. Go back 2,000 years ago. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. The most important event of all mankind. Go now 1,500 years before that. And 1,500 years before that, the Israelites are enslaved for 400 years. God calls a man named Moses. He calls him from the burning bush. Moses confronts Pharaoh. There are 10 plagues that occur, and that last plague is the plague of the death of the firstborn. Pastor Bob spoke about this last week, that, that if you have the blood of the lamb on your doorstep, the, God's, God would pass over those who had that blood of the lamb and the blood of the lamb would save you. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. It points to Jesus. Our story picks up today about 45 days after that. 
The Israelites now have left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea and now they're in the desert. The Israelites are free in life, but they're still slaves in their hearts. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. They had 400 years of bad habits. They had 400 years that I would argue had some idol worship and God needed to remind them who he was. All right, let's kick it off. Exodus 16, verse one. Here we go. Remember our main thought. Transformation takes those three things, time, tests, and truth. Here we go. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Okay, a couple things about this. They're about 45 days after God parted the Red Sea, they blow through, he crashes it down on Pharaoh's army and they're wandering around in the desert of Zin. It looks like sin, but it's pronounced Zin. It's not to be confused with sin, which is disobedience although they'd be wandering a desert of, in a desert of disobedience for about 40 years. Uh, we don't know what, the, what sin means, zin means here. It's probably short for Sinai. That's not important to our story. Let's keep on going, verses two and three. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, I always tell you guys, underline, highlight, it put stars around certain things. And the reason why is I want you to go back and reread these stories. And when you do, the Holy Spirit's gonna key in something when you underline certain things. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you, Moses and Aaron, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. One of the reasons why I love Moses as a leader is that he was very patient with his people. Now, Moses had an anger issue, an anger issue that would keep him from setting foot into the promised land. That's for another sermon at another time. But he was always patient with the people and would turn and go to God when there, there was an issue. What I love too about Moses is that the buck stopped with him. A great leader, a, a, a great leader who led by example. Back when I was a, in special forces, I was a special forces company commander. I had 150 to 300 steely-eyed killers who were part of my command, and these men were amazing warriors. And I learned a lot of lessons, leadership lessons from them. One is that you always have to lead by example. Another is that you're responsible for everything your unit does or fails to do. You can't put the blame on anyone else, especially when things go south. Another, exam another thing I learned, though, is that people will complain no matter what. You're responsible for, for their very lives, and when you make decisions, the buck stops with you, but people are still going to complain. I saw it when I was in the military, and I've seen it in ministry. I I've seen it here. You know, we can go back and think, oh, the good old days, the good old days back in Egypt when we had all this great food, the good old days before COVID-19, and I'll just tell you, I get the complaints. I get the complaints here in the auditorium. The auditorium's too hot. The auditorium's too cold. The music's too loud. I can't worship. The music's too soft. I can't worship. I want more hymns. I want more praise 106.5. Why are you preaching out of the NIV? You need to preach out of the NASB. Why, why the NASB? You need to do the NLT. And all of us pastors are saying, I just want some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I've worked 20 hours on this sermon this week. We've had a, a discussion about racism. People complained that it went too far. Others complained that it didn't go far enough. And it's kind of funny about complaining. 99% of the time in the Bible, 
when people complain, when God's people complain, it doesn't turn out well for them. In fact, what I find out, found is that it's easy to complain, to complain when you have no responsibility for something. So I want to press pause for a second, and I want to talk about complaining, because it seems like in this day and age, especially over the past 10 years with social media just exploding, the explosion of, of smartphones, uh, the ability to do email and send out anything with, without any filter at all, and it's pushing against our witness for Jesus, because so many of us are just spewing stuff out there that is not good. You know, we're hoping on reopening sometime in phase three or phase four. For some of you, we're moving too fast. For others of you, we're moving too slow. And I would ask that you don't complain. But if you feel that you need to raise a concern, there's a difference between the two. Complaining is, is from a darkness of heart. Raising a concern speaks truth and love. So if you want to raise a concern, let me give you a, a helpful hint on how to do that, I think, in a godly way. First of all, take time and, and pray, take 24 hours and say, God, is this something I really need to share with the leadership of my church? Take 24 hours and pray about it. And then if you feel it is, go ahead and write up that, that, that email. Go ahead and write that letter. Get ready to post something on social media and then take 24 more hours and say, God, is this truly something you want me to share? And if God gives you the thumbs up, awesome. Hit send and then when you hit send, release it. Open your hands and simply release it. Understand that here at Cornwall Church, the buck stops with our senior pastor. Pastor Bob is a godly man. He's a humble man. He's a solid leader. And he's got a board of elders that advises him. He's got eight other pastors from different theological backgrounds and life experiences who advise him. He has 50 people on his staff who can speak into his life. He has an amazing wife who advises him. He gets plenty of input. So understand that we're going to read every single email that comes in. We're going to read every single Facebook post, but we may not respond to everything. And at the end of the day, Pastor Bob has to make a decision. The buck stops with him, and he prayerfully and carefully does that. So back to Moses. Moses is dealing with complainers. In fact, uh, he would have to deal, he, he would say that they're not complaining against him, they're complaining against God himself. And it was tough, a tough thing for God to swallow. You see, God had miraculously pulled the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Miracle, yet complaints. He gave them an incredible leader, Moses, where God would speak directly to Moses and Moses would in turn, turn around and speak to the people. And, and, and he would intercede for them back to God. It was a miracle, yet there were complaints. God would give the Israelites fire by night to guide them and to keep them warm in the cool of the desert. And then during the day, he would give them a cloud for them to follow that would keep them cool in the heat of the desert. It was a miracle, yet they complained. Look at our text. It says, but you, Moses, Moses and Aaron, but it always comes back to Moses and God. You've brought us into this desert. Now, rem remember, Moses was in the desert for 40 years before this. So he knew you needed miracles. You needed God's hand to take care of such a large group of people. So what does he do? He leans into God. Look at this, verse four. The people are complaining that, 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 they're, that they're starving to death and God says these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Underline that, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. That's important. 
In this way, I will test them, test them, and see whether they will follow my instructions. So God says to Moses, okay, listen, Moses, I want you to put on your Nomex robe, get you some suntan lotion, probably an SPF of about a million, uh, get ready for your eyebrows to be singed, your beard to be burned off, because I'm going to nuke these people till they glow. I've had it with them. I'm going to rain down fire on their heads. But that's not what God says. Look what he says he's going to rain down. He's going to rain down bread. And why is that? It's his love. It's his love for them. It's his love for us. It's God's grace. Unmerited favor to an obstinate people. He did it so long ago, 3,500 years ago. He still showers us with his grace and his love. But look at this. God's grace led to a test. He said, I'll test them and see whether they follow my instructions. Well, after my, my wife and I, our, our first assignment in the military together was, was in Germany, and we left Germany, we came back to the States, I went to Desert Storm, came back from Desert Storm, and we were stationed down at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. We had no furniture, so my parents gave us some of their furniture, we went to the Goodwill store, we bought some more furniture, and then we got, bought two brand new things that were essential. Thing number one, a barbecue. Hello, meat, fire, ha ha ha, it was awesome. The second one was... A storage shed. Now, the storage shed, here's the issue of the storage shed. It, it, it came with detailed instructions. It came in a very small box with detailed instructions, all in little font with no pictures. So I got the instructions and I threw them on the ground. My beautiful bride said, honey, what are you doing? I'm like, I can do this. Now, my wife is a craftsman. She has all the tools. She knows how to do this. But guess what? I said, I don't need the instructions. So I tried to put it together. Here's a picture of, of what it looks like. It, it was ugly. Okay, truth be told, because I'm in church and I can't lie from up here, that's not really the shed. However, however, it did look like that. And had we taken a picture, yeah. So my wife was able to fix it. But here's my point of this. It was an epic fail for one reason. I didn't follow the instructions. And the same is true for us when we try to live our lives outside of the truths of God, outside of the parameters of God, outside of what he gives us and the, the instructions he gives us, the principles he gives us to live by. We set up our careers outside of that, our, our finances, our relationships. We live uh, our, our lives sexually a different way. We disregard purity. And then we look at our lives and they're just like that. And here's what God says, listen to me. Live your life, stand on my word. Live your life on my truths. Live your life with Jesus as your leader. If, if your life right now resembles this shed, pull back and ask yourself, am I truly standing with God's word being the center of my life, with Jesus being the center of my life? Okay, so notice that God's grace, God's grace would be tied to a long-term test, and it's a truth for us in life. Here it is. In order to see God's grace, we need to endure life's tests. We endure life's tests by standing on God's truths. God takes us to desert places to transform our hearts. We have to have tests, and we have to have his, truth, his truths as our azimuth, as our true north, so we know how to live our lives. The Egyptians had to have the fire of the desert to burn off the stuff of Egypt, the Israelites, that is. Moses would need to, be, to go out to the desert for 40 years to prepare him to lead the Israelites. John the baptizer called to the desert. Jesus, Jesus, he's called to the desert. We're going to talk about that in a few, more, in a few minutes. 
The apostle Paul called to the desert. You and me were called to the desert. And why is that? Because the desert is a place of preparation and purification. The Israelites' liberation was fast, but their heart transformation would take time. And it's the same for us. Chuck Swindoll, who uh, Pastor Bob and I and Pastor Brian have relied on greatly for a a lot of this teaching, he said these words. He said that it's a short trip to the altar, but spiritual maturity is tied to time. And what he means is we we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, but it's a long trip between that time and the time we choke in our chicken bone and show up in front of Jesus and hear those amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant. What desert is God calling you to right now? Are you in a desert right now? Always, if you're in a desert, ask those two questions. God, what are you trying to show me? And how can I glorify you while I'm in this desert? And maybe you're not in a desert right now, but go back and look at some desert experiences you've had and and try to apply those lessons to your life because God does not want any of us to waste our desert pain. Okay, so let's keep on going. For time's sake, I need to summarize like the next 20 verses because we got a lot to cover today. So God says, I'm going to test you. He rains down bread from heaven. Also, this passage would talk about how at nighttime he would deliver quail in the desert. It's a total miracle. Quail don't live in the desert and you can't grow bread in the desert. So he provides for 40 years and he says, okay, here's how you gather this bread. You're gonna go out every morning and you're gonna do what I call stoop and scoop. You're gonna get down on your knees to receive your daily bread. Wait a second, who said that? Oh yeah, Jesus, put a pin in that. We're coming back to it. You're gonna gather this bread But here's the thing, when the heat of the day hits it, it's going to rot. You gather the bread for five days straight and you gather that bread enough for your tent, not just for yourself, but for your tent because God is all about community. On the sixth day, on the sixth day, you gather for two days because what's that seventh day? That seventh day is a Sabbath day. In fact, when he talks about the Sabbath in this passage, it's the first time in scripture that that word is used. Now, the principle of Sabbath goes back to Genesis 2, but it's the first time in scripture that, that that is used. So he says on the sixth day, you gather for two days and on the seventh day, you're not gonna do anything and I'm testing the people. Look what happens. Skip down to verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Oh, but they found none. Look at God's response, verses 28 and 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you Israelites refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for how many days? Two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. And here's what's interesting about this. At this time, God doesn't call down fire on them. For the next 40 years, he'd rain down bread on them every morning and he'd rain down quail on them every night. They biffed it. But it's like God said, okay, all right, you screwed up. Because of my grace, we're gonna get up in the morning and we're gonna do it again. And that should give us hope. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in life when I've screwed up, when I've biffed it, And I feel like I've been defined by my last mistake. Instead of being defined by Jesus, you receive Jesus into your heart. He covers you with his blood. You're defined now by Jesus. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You're not defined by your last mistake. You're defined by what Jesus did on the cross to cover all of our mistakes. And when you screw it up, you own it. You confess 
You repent, that means you turn away from it. You make amends with people you've hurt. And then you stand up and you dust yourself off. And you walk back into the arena and guess who's waiting for you right when you step into the arena? There's Jesus with these nail-pierced hands and he just wraps them around you. And he says, it's okay. It's a rough day. We're gonna get up tomorrow morning and we're gonna try it again. Verses 30 and 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. Okay, manna is Hebrew for huh? Or what? Or what is it? It was, it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Here's what I picture them. I, I, I picture it as like, like honey graham crackers. You know, you can eat it straight up or what they, could, they would do, you could either eat it straight up or you could, you could bake it and make things out of it. You know, like, kind of like Rice Krispie cake, something like that. If you can't tell, I have a sweet tooth right now. So verses 32 and 33, they, they eat this every single morning. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer, and omer is two quarts of manna, and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So God has given them a miraculous uh, provision. And, and he tells Moses to tell Aaron to take a vase and seal it with, with two quarts of manna because he wants them to remember his provision and remember his sweetness. This would be manna that wouldn't spoil in the rod of the day. It's been said that if life is worth living, life is worth recording. God wants us to remember the times when he has showed up in our lives. At the front of my Bible, I have 11 spiritual markers. There are times when God has shown up, when he's provided in dark times as well as in good times. And he wants me to remember his provision and his sweetness. Many of you here know my mom. My mom's watching right now. Hi, mom. She watches every single week. And, and my mom, as several of you know, she's a, a second-time cancer survivor. The last time she had cancer, 2010, her breast cancer came back, went to the liver. They gave her like six months, 12 months to live tops. She started a, a weekly regimen of chemo for eight years. Eight years, people, in and out, getting chemo. And she would call it her happy hour. And I remember talking to her once, and she's just like, Kip, God is so sweet to me. He's just so sweet to me. Side note, she stopped chemo a couple years ago, said, you know, I'm done with this. I, God calls me home now, that's awesome. I'm, I'm ready for it. She's been going two years and she's going strong. MD Anderson, they're like, we wanna make you a lab rat. And she's like, no, no, I'm good. It's a miracle. God is so sweet to me. That's cool. Warren Wearsby, he's a, a theologian of, of uh, a previous generation. He said this, he said, the best place without God is a place of death. The worst place with God is a place of sweetness. That God is so sweet to me. He wants us to see his provision and his sweetness. But more than that, he wants to see that everything in Scripture points to Jesus. As I've said, uh, Scripture is a progressive revelation of Jesus. We've seen it every single week, and we're going to see it every single week as we look at the story of Moses. But there's more to the story. Okay, now then, we got to fast forward 40 years. The Israelites are getting ready to step foot in the promised land. And God says to Moses, listen, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. Remember, he has this anger issue, and that's going to keep him from stepping into the promised land. So he tells him to address the people. Moses gives three addresses to the people, final addresses to the people. In, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, he's gonna say some very important words. Now remember our main thought. Our main thought is that heart transformation takes time, it takes tests, and it's truth. So for 40 years, God's been working on their heart. There's a time. 
He's going to teach them things through his word. So with, with a teaching comes a test. And then he, he gives them his words. He's given them the law. So now they have truth. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Moses says, he, that's God, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with what? With what? Look at this, manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To do what? To teach you. Remember, with a teaching is always going to come a test to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's truth. Mic drop. The psalmist in Psalm 78 would refer to manna as angel's food. And here's the thing about manna. It all points to Jesus, the Messiah, the bread of life. Okay, fast forward 1,500 years. Jesus is about 30 years old and he's going down to the Jordan River. He, he goes to the Jordan River and he sees John the baptizer baptizing. And he says, you gotta baptize me. And John the baptizer says, no way. And what does Jesus say? Yahweh, come on guys. Eight years I've been preaching here. This is my best material. It's kind of like my only material. Anyway, he says, yeah, Yahweh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta baptize me. So John the baptizer dunks him in the water, brings him up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then Jesus is led into the desert to be tested. Look at this, Matthew 4, verses one through four. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, that Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Look what he's tempting him with. He's saying, Jesus, you need to to, to provide for yourself. Remember, God's all about provision and his sweetness. Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Look what Jesus says here. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, every truth, that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus might drop. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Moses and Jesus are saying that the word of God is the bread of God. Feed on the word of God and your soul appetite is fed. What you put in your mind goes to your heart and it fills your soul, either good or bad. So my question is, what? Or, We need to focus on this, that what you digest in your mind is what fills your heart. What you digest in your mind, what you put in your mind fills your heart. When you get up first thing in the morning, what is the first thing do you do? You do, do you you open up your, your phone and start looking at your social media feed? Do you go and check email? Do you not do anything related to God? And I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just trying to, to give you some healthy advice here. When you start your day getting on your knees and, and Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. When you start your day with that, it fills your mind and gets you ready to fight the, the, the difficulties of this world. Jesus would say, give us this day our daily bread. He's focusing back on the manna. Okay, so let's go forward again. John chapter six. In John chapter six, a lot of things are happening with Jesus. Jesus is rocking it as a rabbi. He's doing that Jesus thing. He's doing a lot of miracles. People are seeing that he truly is the son of God. The multitudes follow him to a place. There are 5,000 men, 15,000 to 25,000 women and children total. 
So it's a large group and they don't have food. Well, they do have food. Five barley loaves, two fish. And Jesus miraculously provides for them. Now it's important that he takes five barley loaves. Barley was the the food of the poor. So he takes the food of the poor and he multiplies it. And then he finishes that. He goes off alone to pray, sends the disciples off on a lake, and then he spend some time with the father. He, he, shows up the next day, uh, on, uh, he shows up the next day on shore with the disciples and people have followed him. And what they wanna do is they wanna see another miracle. Here's the Kipster International version to summarize all this. They say, Jesus, come on, you did a really cool miracle back there. We wanna see another. And he says, stop it. I'm, I'm not a magician. In fact, you guys are working for the wrong food. You, you come to me because you saw me feed all those people with, with, with bread but he said you need to stop working for food that spoils. He's not only referring to that bread, but I would speculate that he's referring back to the manna because the manna would spoil. Work for the food that gives you eternal life. Okay, then he starts dropping some bombs. John 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am, I am, circle that, underline it. Every time we see that in this passage, it's important. I am the bread of life. He says, listen, all of you are searching for something to fill your stomachs, but it's not the right thing. Only I can quench your hunger because I am the bread of life. And when he says, I am, I guarantee you the religious leaders who were following him, walking around trying to catch him doing something so they could accuse him, it raised their eyebrows. Because remember, you go back to Exodus chapter three, week two of our teaching, and it's the call of Moses from the burning bush. And Moses sees this this bush burning and he comes up to it and God says, take off your, your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And Moses says, who are you? And God says, Hayah Asher Hayah, Yah, I am. I am that I am, Yahweh. And so God would give Moses a commission and he would say, you need to go out and tell the people and tell the people that I'm sending, for, sending you to them so you can bring them out of Egypt. And he says, how are they going to believe me? And God says again, Hayah Asher Hayah. Tell them that the great I am, I am sent you. So Jesus here says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am what satisfies you just as Moses led you out of the desert, your ancestors out of the desert, so I am gonna satisfy you and I'm gonna be that manna that you can feed on because I'm the new manna. Verse 38, he says this, for I have come down from heaven. What? Manna, where's, how's, how does manna come down? It's rained down from heaven. Not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that's rained down from heaven. Don't you see he's pointing back to the manna? Do you see the parallels here? Because look at this in verse 41, Uh uh-oh. At this, the Jews begin to grumble about him. Underline that grumble. They grumble about him because he said, I am, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 1,500 years before, the Jewish people would grumble. They would complain about the manna. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm gonna preach about that uh, when, when they complain and God finally says, I'm done with your complaining. Then you fast forward back 1,500 years and they're complaining about Jesus, the new manna, the bread of life. 
So Jesus says, listen, you guys gotta stop your complaining. It's, it's not good. And then he repeats the words again, emphasizing who and what he is, verses 48 to 51. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the what? The what? Look at this. The manna in the desert, yet they died. It all points back to Jesus. Look at this. But, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am, I am manna, oh manna, son of manna. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The man appointed to Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying, look guys, everything, all of your scripture from the Old Testament, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, understand it all points to me. The manna points to me. Moses points to me. The law and the prophets points, it all points to me. Jonah's in a boat in a storm and, he, and the sailors have to throw him overboard so everybody can live. Jonah has to die so others can live. Don't you see that all points to me? I am the bread of life. I am the manna. But the bread has to be broken in order to be digested. And Jesus would have to go to the cross to be broken for our sin, to take on all of our sin. And then now he's resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. And he gives us through the Holy Spirit this daily bread. I'm more than Moses. Accept me as God accepts you. Feed on me. I'm better than manna. Folks, what right now are you feeding on? I'm in a time in my life where I'm just broken. I'm broken for what I see all of us posting on social media. I, and I say us, I'm talking about Christ followers in particular. Can't hold non-Christ followers to a higher standard, but guys, we're not doing well. We're so focused on the things of this world on politics, we're entering a political season and whether it's the newest movement of the time that everybody has to follow or the newest politician or the oldest politician, those things can be good things in one sense, but they can become idols in another. And I feel like too often with the stuff we spew on social media, the things that come out of our, marks, our, heart, our, our mouths reflect the darkness in our hearts. This world doesn't need more political movements. This world doesn't need more politicians. This world needs more of Jesus, period. He is our hope. We need hope right now. We don't need division. Jesus is the only one who can provide that. Only Jesus can guide us through these difficult times. As Solomon would say, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. So why are we going for what we think is that new thing when Jesus is saying, no, I need you to build my kingdom. I need you to make more disciples. I need you to spend time in my word then share my words. It's awesome that you're doing stuff with your actions, but you gotta share my words too. Unity over division. Jesus over this world. Okay, let me land this plane. Manna was a gift from God, rained down from heaven. Jesus was a gift from God, 
rained down from heaven. Manna was mysterious to the Jewish people. Jesus was mysterious to the Jewish people. Manna was a gift from God that cost God nothing. Jesus was a gift from God that cost God everything because he would have to go to the cross to die for our sin. Manna was rained down in darkness and gathered in the light. Jesus stepped into the darkness to be the light. With manna, you get on your knees every morning. You got to humble yourself. You stoop and scoop to get it. And with Jesus, to receive Jesus, you got to humble yourself. Jesus, I can't do it on my own. In fact, I trust you. I trust you to lead my life. And I'm going to surrender my will to your will, my desires to your desires. Scripture says that at the end of time, and that time is drawing near, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is the new manna. It all points to Jesus. He cares about your heart. He cares about my heart. He cares about heart transformation. It takes time. It takes tests. And we're in a test right now. And it takes God's truth, and we need God's truth more than ever right now. And I want to challenge you this week. Here's your challenge for the week. You need to ask yourself this question, what am I feeding my mind? What am I feeding my mind? It's like those two mice that I talked about at the beginning of today's teaching. Is your mind getting that healthy food, or is it getting junk food? Because we know what the results of either one are. What we feed our mind is important to God because it's all about our thoughts. Thoughts go back to your heart. You gotta watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, love you. I love you and I thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the hope of the world. And as I pray right now, I'm just convicted to pray the words of the Apostle Paul. I pray for this world. I pray for our leaders. I pray for this church. I pray for Christ followers. God, please fill us all with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we walk worthy in you, that we are fully pleasing to you, that we bear fruit in every good work and we grow in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us, God. Strengthen us with all power. Strengthen us with all might. Help us be the men and women you've called us to be. Given us wisdom, courage, strength, patience, compassion. In Christ's name we all pray, amen.